Originals by Adam Grant, Overview Chapter 3, which is entitled Out on a Limb, Speaking Truth to Power. This chapter is about uh, speaking up and making a change in the world. He starts out with a story of uh, happened in the 1990s, a CIA agent named Carmen Medina was working overseas a lot and when she came back uh, to the US people didn't know her so well and but she had realized while out working in the field that there was a lot of problems with their communication they used to write a report and print a sheet of paper every night and mail it somewhere and so it took really a long time for communication to travel between agents so she was pushing for having something online and nobody would really listen to her because it was just too radical and and too different and they just kept shooting her down and she got so frustrated by it eventually she basically had to quit but didn't quit the CIA because there was no other job she could take and she took a took a position in some somewhere else in the CIA and as a deputy deputy director of intelligence or something like that in what was the name intelligence protection anyway she was just working there many many years and eventually she was able to implement the online strategy so this chapter is exploring how she how she was able to eventually do that after 10 years so he talks a while about something called power without status he points out first of all that leaders and managers appreciate it when employees take the initiative to offer help build networks gather new knowledge etc etc but there is one form of initiative that gets penalized and that is speaking up with suggestions so that's telling that managers don't like when employees speak up with suggestions mm, there's a lot that goes into this chapter so i'm not sure if i'll be able to really uh, hit on it properly with an overview but i will try my best he points out a major theme in the chapter is something called power versus status he says there are two major dimensions of social hierarchy that are often just put together and these are power and status power involves exercising control or or authority over others whereas status means that you are being respected and admired so the cia agent she had very little status meaning that people just didn't know her so she couldn't really affect change with such a small status um, then she took the side job and she was able to build status through various ways by doing basically by doing a good job there by getting a following of younger peers uh, we'll come back to that later her story goes on throughout the chapter um, then he points out another another story here is about uh, 
someone who is pitching a startup company, basically a website, a publishing website. And when he was pitching his company, he had his slide, one of the slides, why you should not invest like this, why you should not. And he would state the bad things, you know, like um, we only get few page visits, um, the website is in need of reprogramming, you know, stuff like this. He would, he would be very upfront about what's wrong with the business. And this would automatically put people into a, a, a different mood, whereas usually when uh, someone said when um, people only state the enthusiastic positive things in their presentation, you first of all, people get the feeling we don't want to be sold to, we're anti-being sold to, and second of all, that you, you we let the guard down when somebody puts up a telling that what's wrong then you let your guard down and and you can even physically relax it doesn't anymore look like you're being sold to and anyway they're going to find out eventually what's wrong with it so you become more of a a partner with them and and they respect you more and he gave also some examples that people who wrote bad review about something or something anyway people that were critical were judged as being more intelligent than people that were simply um, positive so the advantage another advantage of being upfront about your downsides is that it makes you more trustworthy and it gives you more credit when you talk about the strengths it basically alters how the audience evaluates us um, like we said, when you talk about your own weaknesses and criticize, it puts you in a more intelligent light. Another advantage when he talked about his weaknesses and acknowledging his most serious problems, he made it harder for investors to generate their own ideas about what was wrong with the company. As they found themselves thinking hard to identify other concerns, they decided that the problems of this website problem we're not actually so bad. Of course, it must be noted here that uh, this technique works when you obviously have a good product. On to another section. Uh, he talks about familiarity. Mm, for example, uh, in one study they took a, a list of uh, familiar songs, for example, Happy Birthday, Jingle Bells, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, and so on. And people were asked to tap out uh, the rhythm like this, you know. And it was a Stanford study. And then someone would tap out the rhythm and a friend had to guess or somebody else had to guess what it was. So they predicted that the person guessing would have a 50% chance of naming the song accurately. But in actuality, they had a 2.5% chance of naming the song correctly. Of 120 songs, only three were recognized. So his point is, this is the core challenge about speaking up with an original idea. When you present a new suggestion, you're not only hearing the tune, you're, you're hearing the tune in your head, 
uh, the point is, sorry, going back, when you tap out a rhythm, you cannot tap out this rhythm without hearing the tune in your head. But to the other, it just sounds like some sort of strange Morse code, you know, tick, 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 because they don't hear the tune. So when you're presenting an, an idea, you have the tune in your head. You wrote the song. You spent hours and months and even years with the vision, and you have the whole thing in your head. But when you are presenting it, it's just getting uh, tapped out like that. People are not getting the whole tune. So he's, a Harvard study shows that... Um, change agents, people who want to change something, they typically under-communicate their vision by a factor of 10. In a three-month period, employees might be exposed to 2.3 million words and numbers. But on average, during that period, the vision for change was expressed only with 13,400 words and numbers. That's a very, very small percentage. So how are people able to internalize that if it's not being presented enough? So he says, if we want people to accept our original ideas, we need to speak up about them and then rinse and repeat again and again and again. And he makes a very interesting illustration in this book. He presents two words. Which words do you like better? There's one word, iktitaf, and another word, sarik. And he said, if you're like most people, you'll choose sarik over iktitaf. But it has nothing to do with the word itself. It turns out that in his book, he was actually using the word sarik several times. He had something called the sarik effect, but he just made that up. The word sarik was made up, and he just used it in the word. He named people sarik. You know, he said, I just made it up to demonstrate because you were already exposed to the word sarik several times. You like that word better. So the mere exposure effect has been replicated many times. The more familiar a face, letter, number, sound, flavor, whatever, the more we like it. It's true across different cultures and species. They did also study, um, people look at photographs of their friends and of themselves, either in a mirror or regular. And people liked photos of, them, of their friends regular, but they liked photos of themselves in the mirror, because people are used to seeing themselves in the mirror and their friends not. So overall, evidence suggests that liking continues to increase as people are exposed to an idea between, between 10 and 20 times. So if you're making a new suggestion to someone like a boss, you might start with a 30-second elevator pitch during a conversation on Tuesday, revisit it briefly the following Monday, and then ask for feedback at the end of the week. So present it a lot of times with time in between before asking for feedback that it becomes uh, familiar. Then he presents, uh, there are four different options for handling a dissatisfying situation. Uh, whether it's with your job, your marriage, your government, research so shows that you have a choice between exit, voice, persistence, and neglect. These four things. Exit means you just remove yourself from the position. You quit your job, you leave the country, whatever. Voice involves actively trying to improve the situation. You go to your boss with a new idea. You become a political activist. Persistence is just bearing it. You work hard, 
in your job. You just support your government even though you disagree with it. Neglect entails staying in the current situation, but reducing your effort. Doing just enough at work not to get fired, or refusing to vote. So you have these four options, basically. Mm. There's a, a diagram given. Whereas if you want to change the situation, you can either exit or voice. If you just want to maintain the status quo, like stay and, and don't get noticed, either neglect or persistence. So go, coming back to the CIA agent, she her voice was not heard. It almost got her fired. So she just became like this sort of neglectful person. She was neglect and like that. So she was very hesitant to speak up again. But she says, you know why I was crazy enough to do it again? Why she was crazy enough to start for her campaign of um, sharing information over the internet again, even though it almost got her fired the last time. She says, because I was working for Mike, my favorite boss that I've had in this career. He says, when we have a supportive boss, our bond with the organization strengthens and we feel a greater area of influence. However, the CIA agent's boss was not someone that you would imagine as uh, you know, a very wonderful and supporting boss, like warm, trusting, cooperative. No, he was surprised to hear that Mike was described as cynic and very skeptical type of person. So he basically goes on to point out that agreeable bosses just want to get along, just want things to go on, everything, everyone to be happy and so on, but disagreeable people in contrast like to confront and challenge and speak up and, and move things. So even though Mike didn't always agree with her, he gave her enough rope to go and do things and and he would support her, even sometimes he didn't agree, but would support her until until it maybe it went too far he would stop just before it was too late but very supportive because he himself was uh, challenging he liked when other people were also challenging we'll revisit that topic when we come to a story about uh, apple and steve jobs so he says instead of speaking to audiences who are highly agreeable we're better off targeting new suggestions to people with a history of originality. So it was mostly actually middle managers who dismissed her plans with the internet strategy. Social scientists have long demonstrated this middle status conformity effect. If you're at the top, you're expected to be different and therefore have a license to deviate. And if you're at the bottom of the hierarchy, you have little to lose and everything to gain by being original. But in the middle, it's dominated by insecurity. Now you have a little bit of respect, you have a little bit of status, and you don't want to put it in danger. So middle managers are the most likely to be risk-averse, to be original idea-averse, and just want to maintain the status quo. The more you have to lose the more likely it is that you will not do anything different. Whereas those who have already gone to the very top, they already have such a status that they cannot really lose. So 
Carmen, the CIA agent, learned that it was more effective to voice ideas upward and downward and spend less time trying to make suggestions to middle managers. There's an interesting part in this chapter about gender equality, which from his point of view, he's saying, it. oh, it's something that needs to change and so on, but it's very interesting from a Vedic point of view how we look at it, that um, data analysts from several countries show that so he's saying when women speak up they run the risk of violating a gender stereotype which leads to audiences to judge them aggressive when a girl tries to lead she's often labeled as being bossy says so he analyzed a lot of data and found that um, voicing that means voicing is the term used here in this book for speaking up for change Voicing new revenue generating ideas led to higher performance evaluations for men, but not for women. Other, story, other, other studies show that male executives who talk more than their peers are rewarded, but female executives who engage in similar behavior are devalued by both men and women. Similarly, when women offer suggestions for improvement, managers judge them as less loyal than men and are less likely to implement their proposals, especially in male-dominated organization. Women pay a price for exercising voice. He puts in a footnote here that uh, studies done for which type of women are sexually harassed in the workplace. It's not the beautiful or whatever. It's more those who are assertive, dominant, and independent. They are the, the target of sexual harassment in the workplace. So uh, the CIA agent woman wasn't working because uh, her commitment to change was confused with her personal frustration for not advancing her career. It was always me-focused. Then the second time she did it, when it worked, it was very different. It was mission-focused. So he says, extensive research actually shows that when women speak up on behalf of others, they avoid, they avoid this negative outcomes that are the stereotype because they are being communal. Men are expected to be a leader type and women are expected to be communal. So I personally find this very interesting to see that the Vedic system is simply there and as much as people try to change it through awareness it's just ingrained what people expect of women it's just it's just there and ingrained and and if a woman um, goes along with it she can be very effective if she learns about it so he tells an interesting story in apple there was a under under manager who was responsible for distribution and Steve Jobs had a proposal that instead of having all these warehouses for distribution they were going to have make on demand so as just in time production it's called so when a computer was ordered they would assemble it and send it overnight by FedEx and she thought this is a huge mistake we have to keep the distribution going so Eventually, she stood up in a meeting to them and said, no, it can't be like this. And she was very assertive. 
and somehow they accepted her proposal and I mean the story goes on to tell how then eventually she left Apple and went on to start many many other projects all successful and kept moving and moving on so he uses these two experiences the CIA agent and the woman working at Apple to discuss the fundamental quick question about the best way to handle dissatisfaction in the quest for original originality neglect is not an option persistence is a temporary route to earning the right to speak up like the CIA agent did but in the long run like neglect persistence maintains the status quo and falls short of resolving your dissatisfaction to change the situation exit and voice are the only viable alternatives Years ago, Hirschman, the one who did a study, alerted us to a major negative drawback of exit. Although it has the advantage of altering your own circumstances, it doesn't make it better for anyone else as it enables the status quo to endure. Here's some very important point. Voice feeds on the lack of opportunity for exit. Voice gets its nourishment so you can have a voice and use that voice and and get strength to stand up and give a voice on the lack of opportunity for exit when you cannot exit anymore your uh, willpower to use your voice becomes stronger when there's no escape in the long run research shows that mistakes we regret are not errors of doing something but errors of not doing something if we could do things over most of us would censor ourselves less and express our ideas more that's exactly what the cia agent did and the woman working at apple and they had few regrets so this chapter was mostly about speaking up and strategies for speaking up and getting heard and taken seriously basically you have to use voice you have to exercise status not only power but you have to make sure you have the status to be heard and you have to check who you are presenting your voice to are these people who will be able to take you seriously or are these people who are risk averse and don't want to take you seriously steve jobs would actually promote people who confronted him but he was a high leader who could not do anything wrong but middle managers are risk averse thank you for listening and tune in next time for chapter 4 timing strategic procrastination and the first mover disadvantage coming soon